You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's style is very unique, where he shares the message of the gospel unlike anyone else. It's real, refreshing, focused, and fun. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe in a difficult place, or possibly even in a very lonely place, let me encourage you that you've come to the right place. Now, if you're not able to stick around with us for all of today's talk, you can always listen to, download, and even share this entire message with a friend right from our website, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is, Here for What? Why are you listening? What'd you come for? Is this just something you do? Part of your week, punch the card? Or did you have an expectation? Now see, everybody that comes to a deal like this has an expectation that, you know, the speaker is supposed to be prepared. But the speaker should have an expectation of the listener. You should be prepared. Or you're just wasting your time. Now you're not wasting my time because I'm going to be here because I love doing what I do. But I encourage you along the way to ask the question, here for what? And you say, well, I, maybe you'll say something that'll change my life. How's it going to change your life? The only way it's going to change your life is if you hear it and then do something with it. If you do nothing with it, then you're here for what? They say, well, I saw some friends. I just want to make new friends. That's a great byproduct fellowship. All these things are great byproducts. But if a gathering like this of the body of Christ of believers does not change your life, you don't hear something that causes you to say, okay, God, am I going the right direction? I'm discouraged. Am I encouraged? But am I changing? Am I growing? Then something may not be working. Go to Matthew chapter 13. So I've got a ton of scriptures today and I'm not reading a bunch of other ones, obviously, because it's a big book and I'm going to have to kind of skip through this Matthew 13, but if you want to hear some categories maybe of people who hear for different reasons or what happens when they hear, then Matthew 13, and if you go down to, well, let's just kind of skim through verse one here. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea and a great multitude gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. So what are they doing there? They're there to hear him speak. We'll see in a minute, some people came just for the miracles or the food, but a lot of people went to hear him say something. Then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. And others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You're like, well, duh, we all have ears. But those aren't the kind of ears that he's talking about. Because most people have ears. But a lot of people with ears can't hear. Then he goes on, and the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Like, why don't you just kind of, why don't you just spit it out? Why do you tell them these stories? And here's the answer. He said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says... Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. 
For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Now, let me ask you about you. Here for what? You say, well, I listen, but it never makes any sense. Now, let me make a recommendation to you about coming to a gathering like this, or even if you're going to read the scripture or listen to someone speak on the scriptures. You should always pray before you engage in that activity. Because only the Holy Spirit of God can bring to life the word of God. And you can hear words, but if you want those words to change your life, you have to say, God, I cannot raise these words from the dead off the page. I am not interested in just reading information 2D. I would like it to go 3D if possible so that I am changed by these words and I see what it is you're trying to say. So keep reading here. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. So now he explains it. Now I encourage you to say a little prayer and say, Lord, where am I in the parable? And do I fall in one of these categories? And here he goes. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately received it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So the first one's just boom, gone. The second one goes, well, I'm excited. I heard some great stuff. And then someone comes along and goes, so you really believe that? I met with a guy the other day for a long time. At the end of it, I thought the whole thing went great. And at the very end of it, he said, so like, do you believe in a literal hell? And I said, absolutely. He goes, oh, I don't think I believe in hell. I can't imagine God, there's like a real hell where God would send people. And like, well, dude, it's in the Bible. I mean, it's not about me deciding whether this is or isn't. It's just a fact. He says, well, I'm not, you know, kind of, I'm not comfortable with that. Now, this is where if you don't know your scriptures and you can't take a stand, you go, ah, well, I see what you mean. And boom, you're out. You're out because he's out. So we had a little more conversation. I said, look, let me put it to you pretty bluntly. I said, if everybody's going to end up in heaven, no matter what, then God's a fool. He's an idiot. I'm not interested in this God. Because what kind of idiot God, if all of us are going to end up in heaven anyway, would send his son down here to suffer and die on a cross if we're all going to make it without him? And his eyes got kind of big. So I said, you know, this isn't about, you You know, it's kind of like, what if he was uncomfortable? It's okay to be uncomfortable. Sometimes people are wrong and they're uncomfortable. You say, well, you're saying he was wrong. No, I'm saying the scripture is right. And so you don't have to defend the truth with some, you know, freaky little thing you can come up with, just say what it is. Say, well, what if somebody pushes back? It's not me they're pushing back on. I don't take it personally. Well, they're going to like you if you say that the scripture says something different. I'm not running for anything. I'm not running for or from anything. Okay? So this group, excited at first, endure for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word this could be you too maybe this is us and the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful 
So you heard it, you got it, and then you got back out in the world and the cares of this world, got so much going on, and the deceitfulness of riches. I have so much and that's gonna make me happy. I met with a man recently who's got at least not more money than God, but more than Jesus, and uh, more than Jesus ever had on the planet. And a buddy of mine told me years ago, he said, if you've got a problem that money can solve, you don't have a problem. He said, if you got a problem that money can't solve, now you've got a problem. And this man had a problem because he had a problem that money could not solve. Only God could solve, and he was willing to listen. But the danger is that he hears the word, the truth, you share something, and then the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and what happens to you? You become unfruitful. Nothing comes from it. But... Verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. You can always spot these people. They're bearing fruit. Not all the same amount of fruit, but they're all bearing fruit. Some is extraordinary a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, but there's fruit and it's demonstrable fruit. So where are you in that pile? You say, well, I'm the last group. Then you're bearing fruit. Good for you. Hope you've got some other people that can corroborate that. Not just your own opinion. Go to Luke chapter 23. So if you, as you're reading through the scripture, just some fascinating encounters that Jesus, Peter, Paul, Mary, all the bands had. It's not in the Bible, but those people are. Luke chapter 23. And let's start at verse 1. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate, talking about Jesus. And he began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, It's as you say. So he's, Yeah, it's as you say. In other words, Yes, I am the king of the Jews. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. Like, whatever you got against him, and who is bringing all these charges and lies? It's the religious people. It's the Jews, the Jewish leaders. But they were the more fierce, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked that the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, as okay, wait, Herod's over Galilee, you're from Galilee, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. Now look at this. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. You think, well, great, Herod's about to get saved. Why is Herod excited? Why is he exceedingly glad? For he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and then what? And he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Oh, cool, do a trick for me. I've heard about you, I'd hope to see you, but what's his motivation? Hearing for what? For nothing. He had no interest in his life changing because of Jesus. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. Now this is interesting. He's asking Jesus a ton of questions and Jesus is not answering his questions. Why is he not answering his questions? Because he's not interested in any answers. I think it was Larry King. I think the story's about Larry King and a pastor who was on his show. After the show, the pastor and Larry King, and Larry King's not known, at least at this point, to be a believer, he said, you know, give me some reasons why you think I should, you know, be a Christian or, you know, your best argument. And the preacher looked at him and said, 
if I give you a great reason why you should become a Christian, will you become a Christian? He said, well, you know, no. He said, then I'm not going to waste my time or yours. You have no interest. You just want to hear a good argument. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 24. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Just spit it out, dude. If you're the Christ, say so. If you're the anointed one, the Messiah, just say it. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. And look at not just my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. You say, well, I think I heard God's voice. Good for you. Does he know you? You're claiming to hear him and you know him. Does he know you? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. <laughs> now look at that. If you're one of his sheep, you hear his voice. He claims he knows you and you are following him. Are you following him? And if those things are not present in your life, something is wrong. You say, are you saying I'm not a Christian? No, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'd be sure of that, first of all. And if you are sure you're a Christian, then are you living like heaven or are you living like hell? Because you've locked up maybe with him. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So you say, well, Jesus' hand's not as big as the Father's hand. You're in both hands. You're in good hands with him, and nobody can snatch you out. I used to spend a lot of time worrying, oh my gosh, what if I'm not saved? What if I'm not saved? Some guy'd get up and preach, scare me, and I'd run down an aisle and weep and pray. And finally, somebody helped me settle that. I'm a Christian. Now, I may not live like one, feel like one, act like one, believe like one, follow like one all the time, but I'm a believer. No one can snatch me out of his hand. Now the question is, what kind of son am I going to be? What kind of servant am I going to be? Acts 25. So in Acts 25, Paul's been accused again of some stuff. He's in front of Festus, and they're trying to get him killed, arrested, silence him. The Jews are still. Verse 17, therefore, when they had come together without any delay the next day, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in, whom the accusers stood up. They brought no accusations against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions about him, about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Even he figured out what they were accusing him of. It's the gospel. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. So Paul, this is a kind of a historical note. Back then, if you were a Roman citizen and you got in a situation, a tough spot, you could appeal to Caesar and everything stopped. That means you had to be taken to Caesar and he would have to settle the matter. And so nobody could do anything he had pulled the biggest card you could pull. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow he said, you shall hear him. So here's another guy, Agrippa saying, I would like to hear what he says, chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you're permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. So he starts telling his story about how he had encountered Jesus and what was up. So go down to verse 24. Now, as he thus made his defense, 
Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Dude, you're crazy. Dude is in the original. It's just not translated here. Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Like, dude, you've lost your mind about all this Jesus stuff. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. Like he can't say he never heard of this. Like this shook literally the whole town of Jerusalem. It didn't happen in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Now he puts him on the spot. I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, now look at this statement. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. But what's the operative word? Almost. Almost. And I don't know how this goes down in hell, really, whatever their communication is. But one of the horrors of hell will be the almosters. I heard it. I almost made heaven, but I missed it because I didn't act on it. The word fell on whatever soil, but it didn't take. I was almost there. You say, well, I'm not that person. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to almost make heaven. Are you going to almost live the Christian life? You hear something, the Holy Spirit says, hey, this is for you. This is us. This is me talking to you. You got to let this go. You got to move forward. I know you don't agree with what the scripture says, but it's truth. Move forward. What are we going to do about this? And you go, no, I'm out. Almost though. Wow, that was powerful. So you hear for what? Well, yeah, I think they're right. I think the scripture's right, but I just can't do it. And then you just kind of stop. Now you say, well, am I supposed to stop going to church? That usually takes care of itself. You say, what do you mean by that? People pull away. When you stop following him, I mentioned this the other day to somebody, it's hard to follow someone that you can't see anymore. He's so far out there. You've fallen so far behind. You say, well, won't he come back and get me? Are you going to pick up and follow him if he does? No. And why would he come back and get you? Very interesting thing about Luke 15, by the way. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Lost sheep, 99 sheep, one missing, goes looks for that sheep. 10 coins, one missing, sweep the house, middle of the night, find the coin. Lost son, the son leaves, never goes looking for him because that kid has to decide to come home. So you say, well, I'm going to run away from home. He isn't. He's never going to run away from home. He'll always be home. You say, well, how far can I go and get away from him? And my contention is that boy was a son when he left the house. He didn't become a son when he came back. He was arguing that he should not be considered a son when he came back. But the father made it clear, this is my son. So how far have you gone? How long are you going to be gone? One of the coolest things about the prodigal son story, it's a good thing it doesn't say how long he was gone because people would beat you to death with that. So how long can you be gone? It usually doesn't take very long when you run out of everything that's not him. So he'll let you run. And this is what it sounds like. If you've ever caught a fish and you know you got it on a hook and you let the line run and that fish runs, that fish thinks he got away and he swims fast and hard. And then all of a sudden there's this and God has a way at the right time of setting that hook again. And you're so tired, you say, you know what? I want to go home. And he says, I'll help you. <laughs> and he reels you back in. There we go. You know, it just never has gone well for me out there away from him. 
Never. You can make a run at it, but you're wasting the only life you got, and it's not even your life. You belong to him. So I recommend going home. Humble yourself. Go home. No place like home, especially when your father's at home. So let me read you something out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And this is what the Bible says about itself. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. If all you can get out to someone is that Jesus died on a cross, was buried and raised from the dead for you, boom, an atomic bomb just went off in their head and their heart. You say, how is that possible? Because it's the gospel. It's foolishness to some, but to those who believe, it's the power of God. Last one, Revelation chapter 3. I grew up hearing this verse quoted, trying to reach people who were not Christians. But if you read the context here, that's not what it is. These are churches being addressed, seven churches. And one of these churches, verse 14, is kind of a lukewarm church. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you or spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. In other words, change your mind. And then verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. So I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Look at verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You'd usually think someone standing at a door and knocking, it would be about hearing the knocking. But what does he reference? I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice. You say, well, I hear the knocking, but do you hear his voice? If you hear his voice, what are the instructions? Open the door, he comes into him, dine with him, he with me. So fellowship, relationship, you're not leaving him outside of the house somehow. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. 
You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. So you're here for what? Curiosity, mocking, inspiration, transform, you know, what is it? Because there's a good chance you got out of it about whatever it is you expected to get out of it. And if you really didn't inspect anything, you probably weren't disappointed. If you go to a well, you drop a bucket in a well, and you hear a thump, and you pull the rope up, and there's nothing in it, it's disappointing. You go to a well to drop a bucket in a well, hopefully you hear a splash, you let it sink, you pull it up, and you go, wow, it's what I went to the well for. So whether you go to Scripture, whether you listen to some message as you're doing here today or beyond, ask yourself, what am I listening for? And I would say the number one thing you need to be listening for is His voice. And you say, well, how will I know it's His voice? Because it will not contradict His Word. You say, well, I thought I heard God's voice. If it contradicted His Word, you did not hear His voice. You heard something, but it wasn't Him. Thanks for listening today to Richard Ellis Talks. We're confident that the program blessed you, and we want to hear about it. One way is to give us a call and let us know. The number is 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is to drop us an email. Jump on over to our website, richardellistalks.com, and click on the Connect tab at the top. We'd love to hear from you. And while you're there at the website, there's a ton of great stuff there just for you. Things like all of the talk from Richard, a prayer wall where you can leave your prayer request, and a whole lot more. Check it out, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we love doing this program for you, but we're so grateful when you hop on board to help us with the cost. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD, or you can contribute through the website. It's easy and much appreciated. 855-6-RICHARD or richardellistalks.com. Until next time, God bless you, and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Richard Ellis Talks.